Well, thank you, Jody. Brothers and sisters, friends and guests, good morning. Uh, welcome to North Anken. My name is Pete Stedman, Senior Minister, and it's fabulous to be able to celebrate this Good Friday with you. But we have to call it for what it is. Uh, good Friday is one weird holiday. Now, Christmas we get, don't we? We get presents, uh, lots of food, long holidays. Jesus came into the world. It's all good. Good Friday is weird particularly in a modern, secular society such as ours. Now, just to be clear, uh, Good Friday is not going anywhere because as much as the average Aussie is not interested in Jesus, the average Aussie is absolutely interested in public holidays. We are not giving one up. But the fact is, Good Friday is just a bit awkward. And the reason for that is because the shadow of death looms over this day. Our hot cross buns have hot crosses on them, which remind us of death. Even chocolate eggs, which we love, have come to symbolise new life, which sort of raises the question, why do we celebrate new life? Has someone died? And the answer is yes. Of course someone has. Jesus Christ. And despite the long weekend and the long lunches and even the chocolate eggs, Good Friday is all about death. Jesus' death on the cross. Can't we just get to the resurrection? I mean, empty tombs are much happier the places than Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where Jesus died. Brothers and sisters, Good Friday is about death, and that is what we're going to be slowing down to consider this morning. Uh, I am well aware that it's not an overly popular topic to speak about. But if there is ever a day in the Christian calendar that it is appropriate to slow down and reflect upon death, both Jesus and ours, then it has to be today. And what we want to do this morning is try to bring colour to this grey topic. We want the Bible to illuminate, to turn the lights on, if you like, to move our thinking about death from black and white and perhaps somewhat outdated to full and splendid colour as we see what the Bible says about all of this. So the question we're going to think about today is this. What happens when you die? What happens when I die? You'll know that there's a range of opinions on that, and even within the room right now, there'll be a range of perspectives uh, about that. What's not up for debate is that we will all die. That is as certain as paying tax. Here's what we're going to see. The four modern views of what happens when we die are not that modern. In fact, they're not modern at all. They are as old as the hills. So there are some people who say, well, what happens when you die? Nothing. Nothing happens. You live, you die, that's it. Uh, this has been the position of the New Atheist Movement. You might have read authors such as Lawrence Krauss, uh, Richard Dawkins, or Christopher Hitchens. Uh, their perspective is that you, as lovely as you are, you're really just a collection of atoms. Okay? Uh, here, Richard Dawkins. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason to it nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. 
nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. He writes so beautifully, so evocatively, doesn't he? The implication is that meaning in life can't be found uh, in anything out there. It's got to be found in where you want to give meaning right here, right now. Don't look for anything beyond there. Um, Keith Cornish from the Atheist Foundation of Australia says it even more clearly. It would be difficult to imagine a more useless waste of time than that spent in the worship of an imaginary God or preparing for a non-existent everlasting life in some mythical supernatural realm of eternal bliss. We're wasting our time, friends, here today, according to these two men. Life is what you make it. You live, you die, that's it. Uh, Of course, this perspective is not new at all. Uh, In the first century, Jesus spoke with people who believed exactly this. They were Jews called Sadducees. And they believed that what mattered in life was how well you lived ethically and morally. The Sadducees' teaching started to go across to some Christians who started to believe the same thing that there was no resurrection from the dead. And as a result of this belief, their lives got very messy. They started making all sorts of bad decisions. But then the Apostle Paul writes to this church and he says to them, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? You're wrong. There is more to life than the present. There is life after death. And this has always been what the Bible's taught. The Bible's taught that people and the world didn't just come to be now, the word used in the Bible is the, Bible, the world was created, and so were people. And Christians have always known that if, if we are created, then that has to speak of a creator, which is what the very first words in the Bible speak about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, think about this. If there is a creator, if indeed we are stitched together, then that has to speak of purpose meaning and order. It means that we're not merely random atoms. We are actually people stitched together under God for a reason. And if that's true, then you don't just live and die. The Creator must have a purpose for us. Well, the second view as to what happens when you die is, who cares? Who cares? Eat, drink and be merry. And whilst the atheist's perspective might capture the intellectual cultural elite, it's this view that sweeps up the rest of us. This is the perspective of almost all Australians. It is the view of the hedonist, of the pleasure seeker. Don't worry about tomorrow. Consume as much as you can today. Food, sex, alcohol, property, drugs, experience, travel, power, opportunity, pleasure. Grab as much as you can. That is what life's about. About two years ago, there was an advertising campaign run in London, in fact, on London buses, which made this exact point. This is how it went. There's probably no God. They hedged their bets. They could have got sued if they said there is none, probably. There's probably no God. Uh, So stop worrying and enjoy your life. The perspective was, was one of, look, don't worry about tomorrow. What's to come? Live for today. You know, again, this view is actually very ancient. Jesus tells the parable of a man who worked the land. He was a farmer, and he'd had an enormously successful year, so much so that his barns could not hold all the grain that he'd grown. Uh, The farmer in the parable is pretty much the bloke so many of us aspire to be, Uh, a stack of hard work, 
a, a, a stack of hard work, a, a dash of luck, and the result is a brilliant fortune. Many of us dream of that. Well, that's what happens to this guy. And then he says to himself, I've made it. I've done it. I'm going to relax and take things easy. And if you know your Bibles, you know that in every single parable, there is a twist in the tale. And there is one here. Because that night, God comes and speaks to the man. And he says to him, you are a fool. Who do you think you are? I gave you everything. You're a farmer, for crying out loud. If there was ever a profession where it was clear I provided everything, you have it. I gave you the soil, the seed, the wind, the rain, the sun. And you still didn't recognize me as the one who gave it to you. And tonight you're going to die. Then who's going to get everything you've worked for? Eat, drink and be merry. Jesus says that's really short-sighted. And to this very modern and popular view of life, the Bible tells us this. Romans 14 says that each one of us sitting here today, each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Every one of us will give an account to God for how we have lived, loved, and labored. And Jesus' point is don't be a fool. Recognize God as the one who's given you everything. For one day, we will need to give an account before him of how we have spent our lives. Which brings us to the third view that people have when it comes to what happens when you die. You'll know this one. Uh, this is where people say, well, it depends on how good you've been. You heard this? This is certainly something I hear from people with church backgrounds. By which they mean, I think it's really uh, what, what they genuinely mean is, or what they say is, well, look, I've kept the Ten Commandments. I've kept the Ten Commandments. Now, whenever anyone says that to me, I know all, the, all they mean, and it can only be all they mean, is that they haven't murdered anyone. Because really, that's the only one that they could hand on heart say they haven't broken. Because really, have they kept number five? Honour your father and mother. You don't have to live long to struggle with that one. Have they really kept number nine? Don't lie about other people. Never lied? And if they have not broken anything up to there, number 10 smashes them because it's, number 10 is don't long for things that others have that you don't. Friends, we live in a world built upon longing for things that others have that you don't. But you have to know that this idea of being good, getting you to God, is not just a church belief. It's actually a very human belief. The fact is, every person believes this. Stitch, stitched into our DNA is this strange meritocracy where we start to think that good equals reward and bad equals punishment. When you think about it, this is how almost every other aspect of our lives work. Our education system, our sporting performances, our parenting, our working lives are all judged like that. So we assume, well, surely God's like that as well. Now, how can I say so clearly that this is built into every person? Because of this. Every world religion is based on this. When humans invent religion, the best we can come up with is morality, being good, following the golden rule of treating others like you'd be treated yourself, personal performance. So in Hinduism, it is your offerings, your giving to the gods which might appease the gods. In Islam, as you keep the five pillars of faith, you might be accepted by Allah as you keep the five pillars of faith. Insha'Allah, it is up to Allah if God wills. 
It's like stitched into every one of us is this belief that out there are these large cosmic scales of justice. And if I do more good than harm, I'm in with God. Whoever that God is, I've made it. The fact is, this belief is as old as the hills. In the year 30 AD, Jesus is walking along and a religious guy walks up to him and says, Rabbi, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Straight away, we see there's a problem with the question. He starts by asking Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus knows the man can't do anything, but he plays along with him and he says, okay, keep the Ten Commandments. The man says, I've done that. But Jesus has this way of always seeing into someone's heart and knowing what's really going on. And Jesus knows that there is something in this man's life that is stopping him from loving God fully. This, this man loves something else more than he loves God. So Jesus then says this, says this to him. Okay, give away all your money and then follow me. And we read that the man goes away desperately sad because he can't do it. It's too hard. Let's be clear on what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus is not saying if you keep the Ten Commandments and you give away all your money, you find eternal life. No, he is showing the man that there are things in his life that he loves more than he loves Jesus. Jesus is saying to this man, eternal life is not about what you do. It is all about whom you love. And you know what? So many of us spend our lives trying to be moral and ethical and upright not cheating too much in our tax, being good to our mums, going to church at Easter, or maybe even every week. But there's a problem with this, of course. Being in a right relationship with God has nothing to do with being good. Nothing. Eternal life is not about what you do. It is about whom you love. Because the Bible says that if you stuff up once, just once, one moment of hatred, one moment of jealousy, one moment of lust, you're out. Perfection is the minimum standard. And the Bible shows us actually in place after place that every single one of us is stuffed. Not a lot of hope, really. Which brings us to our fourth belief about what happens to you when you die, which brings us to Good Friday. You know, there's actually some people out there, not many, but they are out there, who believe that when you die, you actually spend eternity with Jesus and his people in a new heaven and a new earth. But these people have come to know that it's never been about their goodness or actually their lack of it. These people have come to believe that they get to spend eternity with Jesus because of what he has done. You know what? This belief is as old as the hills. AD 30, Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. About 25 years later, the Apostle Paul said the same thing, slightly differently. He said this, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And you know, there are some people around today who believe both these men, both Jesus and Paul. Some people believe these men when they say that you're not good enough and you never will be. You can't get to heaven by yourself. You, you can't know God by your own efforts. The only thing you can do is say, Jesus, 
I can't do it. Here's what you find. The day, the hour, the moment that you say, Jesus, I can't do it. Good Friday suddenly ceases being all about death. And you start to see it as being all about life. Now, don't mishear me on this point. Someone dies. Absolutely. That's Jesus, the perfect, blameless, sin-free Son of God. But someone doesn't die. You. You don't. And the moment we see we can't get to God, we simultaneously see that we don't have to. Jesus died in our place so that we can be forgiven for our sins against God. Jesus died on our behalf so that we can be reconciled to God and move from being his enemies to his children. You know, Good Friday is sober and Good Friday is somber. But Good Friday is only grey if you don't know Jesus. If you do know Jesus, Good Friday is one of the brightest days of the year. And perhaps this is the year when you know it's time to respond to Jesus. Maybe you've known about him for a long time, but you've kept him at arm's length for whatever reason. Or perhaps you used to love and walk with him, but over time that love grew cold. Whoever you are, whatever your circumstance, I'm about to pray. And this is an opportunity for all those in the room who want to be brought back into a relationship with God through Jesus to do that. I'm going to pray and ask God to forgive me for my sin through Jesus' death on the cross in my place and on my behalf. And if that's for you, just repeat it in your head and heart quietly. To be clear, this is not for everyone here. That's okay. But feel free just to listen in as to what I'm praying. If it is for you, then have no doubt that God hears you, loves you more than you know, and forgives you before you even come to Him. Let us pray. Good and gracious God of all, we come before you this morning having been reminded of the lengths you needed to go through to save a wretch like me. We thank you that you sent your only son to live the life we should have and to die the death we should have. But Jesus did all that in our place. Father, we admit that we have let you down. We have lived as if you didn't matter and were not there. We have sinned against you in the thoughts we think, the words we speak, and in the acts we do. And we are sorry. We have nothing to bring to you, for our hands are empty. Will you forgive us? Father in heaven, we know that we cannot do this on our own. In fact, without you, we are in trouble. We need a rescuer. We need a saviour. 
We need Jesus. Thank you that he took the punishment we deserved when he died on that lonely Roman cross 2,000 years ago. We thank you that whilst we were still your enemies, Christ died for us. We believe that only Jesus can forgive us. We believe that only he can bring us back to you perfect, without stain, without guilt, and without shame. And so, Father, this morning we give ourselves over to you, every part of us, body, soul, spirit, family, work, lives. All we have is yours. Will you welcome us home to you and make us your children? Please help us to live for you in everything. We know we're going to stuff up. We know there'll be times we make a mess of everything. Thank you that you don't call us to be perfect. Thank you that you just call us to put our trust in you. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, if that's the first time or the first time in a long time that you've prayed that, we'd love to know so we can stand with you and pray for you and support you. Later in the service, you'll hear there's some uh, welcome cards. Feel free to jot that down and we'd love to be in touch. Have a great Easter.